is Wednesday today. Didn't get to make uh, episodes in the last couple days because I was in LA and I wasn't working from walking to work, working from, uh, from LA. But yeah, learn about, let's see, listening to an interview by the Knowledge Project, which is started by the blog Farnham Street. And he interviewed Atul Gawande, which is actually one of my favorite people because he wrote a couple books that I really enjoyed reading. Atul was a surgeon, but also wrote a couple New York Times bestsellers, including The Checklist Manifesto, um, Being Mortal, uh, which is a book about senior care and uh, like late stage life care. Uh, he also wrote a piece on New Yorker, or yeah, New Yorker, where he talks about how he's comparing basically two counties in the states where because well, both of them are paid for by the government the healthcare bill and examining even though one county I think has like the highest cost per patient yet their healthcare quality is actually really low and he dug a little deeper into it and it's because of how doctors are incentivized to essentially provide a lot of necessary service and charge um, the hospitals for it uh, because you know everything is just down at money so the more service they can give the more they can earn and what's even more infuriating is they actually get kickback from clinics that you know they send the patient to do you know unnecessary checkups or like x-rays or other kind of services they actually get money back which is like you know really bad and he pointed out a good healthcare system is the one that you know it's the one for example like kaiser which not only do they run the hospitals, but they also offer insurance, so the, in, the incentives are aligned, and eventually the quality is higher. Um, and I myself is a Kaiser uh, group plan member, and I do feel like they actually care more about you in a sense that they would like to invest more in your preventative health care, looking you at the long-term horizon instead of you know giving you... I remember I was on a some other plan, PPO plan, on my first job, and I told the doctor, like, I did not want this kind of, like, checkup or, like, this, you know, this somehow, like, vaccine or something, but then I still saw it on my healthcare bill, even though I didn't pay for it, but my insurance covered it, but I just, it might have been a mistake, but it just can't, I just can't help stop thinking that, you know, he charges because he just make, like, another $100, $200 on top of it, which is kind of ridiculous, so... Hopefully, there'll be more Kaiser model out there. I know a lot of states want it, but a lot of doctors are opposed to it. But back to Atul Gawande. So, you also wrote another book called The Checklist Manifesto. Uh, the book, idea is really simple. So, it's basically saying like you can really leverage checklists to make anything we're doing more productive, more efficient, less error prone. And we think that checklist is very commonplace these days, but it's actually been developed over time by professionals. So where it started was in airplanes, in the safety manual. So when you know things go, go wrong, pilots consult this big checklist, this book, and basically see like, oh, what are you supposed to do? And there's a, it's almost like an art to a checklist because you can't put too many things in it Otherwise, people will think like it's useless, but you 
just have to put just right amount and what you put in there matters and the order matters so one example we gave was in uh i think it's like some small plane where the first thing in the checklist in case the plane like something goes wrong is fly the plane because you know, a lot of pilots like forget that they actually have to fly the plane when they're consulting the checklist uh, so that was a pretty interesting example another checklist uh, that we start using so a tool obviously use that in the uh, operations room just to make sure like you know even basic things are are done and one of them was uh, the central line disease where there which is like a complication from surgery and it's actually been killing a lot of people there's a really good box video on it but basically the idea is with the checklist people are made sure to like wash their hands and using soap wearing gloves and that alone like cut I think death rate by like I don't know, like by like 30% or something and it just start, started off with like a simple thing that people often think they don't, don't want value in it um, to me this checklist is important because in you know agile software development in my my company we start using checklists in what we call pull requests which is before you merge a code in you want to get code reviewed by another person by opening a pull request in the pull request which is like a almost like a document that you'll say like what changed you can see all the code changed there people that review your code can put comments but on there we put a checklist in there the point of a checklist is for the person that wrote the code to make sure that really common errors that can happen are reviewed so example would be like is if it works on desktop does it actually work on mobile if it works for a logged in user does it work for a non-logged in user you know these are things that you write the code it can be really simple, but since it's so simple that you might overlook and not be careful about it, but by having a checklist there, the point is you see it, and it will make you like, oh, remind you that, oh, I should probably go check it. And once you check it, then you can actually check the checkbox in the checklist. And I think that's really powerful because I think most people like don't want errors to happen, especially stupid errors. And by having the checkbox there makes you actually go and check it before you can like uh, fulfill that box. So that was what Atul talked about in Checklist Manifesto. It was a really quick read. Recommend like everyone reads it. The other book, which is Being Mortal, excellent book, uh, talks about how developed countries, especially the US, how they handle senior care. And currently, unlike Asian community, which you know, family matters a lot more in the sense, in a sense that people live with their parents, but it stays a little different because I think it's because the state is big enough that or developed enough that people you know make enough money that they leave home and don't really go back home and so what they end up doing is when their parents get older they you know apply for senior home pay for it and send them there even though I would say 90% of the parents do not want to do that 90% of old people do not want to do that because it feels lonely, because they feel like they're constricted, they feel like no, no one cares about them. Uh, so it was really interesting to see, like, we pay, the senior home is actually not cheap either. A good one, it's like $1,000, $2,000 per month. Uh, 
Obviously, you can pay, like, with insurance. I think it covers a little bit. But the truth is, it's really expensive, and this might not be as effective as, as we think. They might get the physical attention, where, you know, nurses are taking care of your daily needs, but emotionally, the people might not be that happy. And the emotional aspect is something that we often overlook, because uh, I think Atul talked about an example where the emotional quality actually does affect like how long you live. And one example was uh, some some other senior home did an experiment where they introduced like live liveliness, which is they put plants, animals, birds, and giving them the the patients or the senior people like a responsibility to take care of, of different things. And in there, in that case, it would be a bird. And people, the senior people, just felt so much happier and end up like living a lot longer um, than than a control group. So it just says like you know how much. There isn't like that much innovation in senior care, and I think it will be obviously a big area to explore because baby boomers are retiring. They do have a lot of money uh, left over because you know they were riding the economic growth in past decades. So, being mortal, really good book as well. Also talks about a new kind of insurance policy where you know for for most people, 90% of the money of the insurance is spent. And extending like the really last like you know five percent, one percent of your of your life. Like, let's say you're 85, you have cancer in bed. You can spend a lot of money trying to extend your life by a couple more years. But the truth is like, you have to ask yourself like, is that really, is that really what you want? Is that really worth it? Or would you rather? But because you know like currently, insurance structure is that you use it or you lose it. But there might be another way, which I think some insurance companies testing out, which you can like, you know, let's say they think it's going to cost like $1 million to, to cure or extend your life on a couple more years. What if we give you like 500K? You just the cash, you can do whatever you want to it. You donate to charity, you can give it to your grandson, you can like put it to good use and in return, like you won't get the care you want, but it might actually be worth it for a lot of people because one or two more year in life where you're in pain and you can't really eat, you can't really walk. What if you use that money for a cause that you really enjoy? And that's, I think, it's a great example of how you know, innovation in, in senior care can bring a lot of benefits to society. Um, so that's what I learned uh, from this, well, not this podcast, but just the books that I've read from Atul Gawande. Another interesting thing to recently was on 99PI where they talk about how blue jeans are are made and you know, obviously Levi's is one of the first companies uh, to really popularize blue jeans and what they actually patented wasn't the blue jean itself but it was the the, the metal uh, it's like the knob that you know binds the pockets with the jeans because previously jeans don't have that and pockets would get ripped open. But Levi's, you know, patented that and makes it like pretty much like standard uh, design in all our jeans today. Uh, they just talked about like the impact of blue jeans where pretty much all the jeans you wear use a lot of water because raw indigo, uh, raw denim is actually very rough that you can't really wear it. So then they stonewashed them multiple times, make sure it has a soft quality that people are willing to, to wear on them. Uh, 
an interesting thing is I don't think there's any pair of jeans that uses you know raw material like cotton or raw indigo like all of them is synthetic uh, jeans are do have some kind of plastic in them nylon um, polyester and other you know, stretchy material that makes it more wearable so that was pretty interesting to learn and yeah that's about it